0: I am so glad to be here this morning, and if you are here in the room or you're joining us online, we are so glad to have you as our guest this morning. My name is Jamie. I'm the lead pastor here at Ebenezer, and welcome home, right? Welcome home, and it's so awesome to be here today. Now, last week, I challenged you guys to think about inviting. I want to just go ahead and give you a caveat. I'm probably going to tell you that every week. But if this week you prayed and God led you to invite somebody and that person is here today, can I just say thank you? I know how intimidating it can be to walk into a room full of people that you do not know. But I know two things. Number one, this is a loving church that loves Jesus and wants to extend that same love to you. And so I am so glad that you're here. Don't forget when you leave today, right outside the doors, there is a welcome center. We would love to just connect with you, get some information for you. We're not going to try to come sell you anything. We just, want to, we just want to know what God's doing in your life and how we can partner with you for you to reach God's potential in your life. And so at this time, I'm going to ask Bruce to come and join me on the stage. Bruce Anderson, where are you? Here's, y'all give it up for Bruce for a moment. Now, Bruce is one of our deacons. He leads a life group, and he does a million other things. Um, convalescent ministry. I'm just learning so much good stuff about you, Bruce. Bruce agreed to come up here and play a game with me. <laughs> he is a good sport. And so we're going to play a little game of Family Feud, right? And so there, are, there was 100 people surveyed about what was their favorite or most known Christmas song. Christmas song. And so I think we're working on getting it up here on the screen in just a minute. But, Bruce, I want you to go ahead and be thinking up to you. Now it it could be a Christmas carol or it could be other songs, but these are just the eight. And so what's going to happen is as he's giving out his answers, we're going to tabulate his score because at the next service we've got Zach who's going to come up here and do the same thing. So one of you get bragging rights about who knows the most about Christmas songs. So let's go ahead. Um, do I have a thumbs up yet? A thumbs down. <laughs> Dang. Okay, well, let's go ahead, and, and, and maybe Shannon's in the back. Shannon, if he gets an answer right, would you just put a thumbs up? All right, here we go. Go ahead, Bruce. Give us, give us your first Christmas song. Um, I'm going to go with Jingle Bells. Jingle Bells. That one. Yes. You All right. Number two, give us another one. Um, White Christmas. Uh, that's an uh, ant. That's not one. So you got one strike. Get three strikes. Just like you do on the show. All right, keep going. Um, what about Away in the Manger? Away man? in the Manger? Is that a thumb up? All right, Tess, that's a thumbs up. All right. Got two answers. All right, let's keep going. Uh, let's see. Boy, I'm, I'm getting stopped. Uh Let's see here. Silent Night. Yes. Silent Night? Yeah. Good answer. That's another Good one. Answer. That's three. Good answer. Good answer. Three yeah. out of eight. We're getting closer. Oh, man. Let's see. Uh, Rudolph. The red, red nosed nose reindeer. reindeer. That's, a, that's a strike. Strike number two. That was a great answer. I know, Dean Martin. I mean. Jeez. Um let's see, what else do what else we have there? Uh, a blue. We'll, we'll go with a blue Christmas. A blue Christmas. Blue Christmas. Oh. That's three strikes. How many do you get? Three? I'm done. We got three. Three or four. I can't see your feet. Three. All right. Hey, you know, the Bible tells us we need to greet one another with a holy kiss. And so I have a big kiss for you for playing this game with us. No, literally, I have a big kiss to give you for playing this game with us. Thanks, Bruce, for being a being a sport and doing that with us. You know, I just wanted to take an opportunity to just remember one. I just I want to try to incorporate people. This is worship. And all of us have a part to play, right? Bruce, thank you for being willing to come up here and play. Now we've got to see if Zach can name four songs in the next service, and he'll get a big kiss, too. Um, But, you know, when I think about songs, one of my favorites is Deck the Halls. You know, and you say, how's it go? Y'all sing with me. Deck the Halls with... Fa-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. Now sing this next part really loud. Tis the season to be jolly. All right, stop. (laughs) <laughs> That's it. We're just going to stop on Jolly. Because this is a season of time. Like, we, we, we believe all the way back to the second century that Hipp- Hippolytus was able to date Christmas to December 25th. And so we have practiced that tradition that the date of Christ's birth is December the 25th. But we are celebrating the Christmas season. And and a season is a measurement of time. You know, time is measured in seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, years, decades. I mean, you can see that time has measurement. And for you and me, the the span of life that we've lived, we've had little points in time that we usually measure with dates. A lot of you have important dates in your life. Uh, Maybe your anniversary date. Guys, do y'all know your anniversary date? You're not going to confess it if you didn't, because she's sitting close enough for the backhand, right? You're not going to confess that. My my anniversary is May the 30th, and so I know that one, gentlemen. Make sure you know your anniversary date. Those are points in time, and we begin to say, let me me ask you this. What do you call when you have a whole bunch of points in time that kind of are collected with the same thing? It's called a story, that's what a story basically is. Is When you look at the span of your life, these, these different experiences that you have. For, for example, like a point in time maybe you chose to eat eggs for breakfast, right? But what if you chose to eat breakfast with your wife on a cruise ship that you spent a week with? You, you build that memory. You, you take those points of time and it builds, it builds a story. And when we hear the phrase, "'Tis the season," To be what? Jolly. Jolly. When we hear that phrase, we're talking about Christmas season. How many of you would confess that Christmas is your favorite time of the year? A few of you, okay. Maybe for some of you, you like heat, so maybe summer is your favorite time of the year. Especially on a morning like this, or possibly next week, when it's supposed to be below freezing and not get out of it, right? But seasons of time are important. Seasons of time are important. We were all in school. That was a season of time. But now here's the problem. Some seasons in our life aren't memorable. In fact, there's some seasons in our life that we try to forget. That on one hand, some of you said, Hey, Christmas is my favorite time of the year. But for others, it may not be so. Maybe your memories of Christmas weren't that special. Maybe they were actually even even painful. I remember years ago, a friend of mine called me on Christmas Eve to tell me that his his mother-in-law had passed away at the stroke of midnight on Christmas. And that they were going to have to wake up the next day and tell their grandchildren that great-grandma was gone. And then having to console his wife as she's trying to get through that day that was supposed to be jolly. And for her at that time, it wasn't. We're called today to reflect on something totally different than our life experiences. We're called today to reflect on one point in time. And that was when Jesus Christ came to this earth. It was a point in time... That probably is the greatest point in time ever. Because subsequent to Jesus coming to the earth, the next important date was Jesus dying on the cross and being raised again, right? And up to this point in time, those are the two most important things, the most most important and most uh, greatest implication made are those two points of time. What I'd like to ask you to do this morning is turn with me to the fourth chapter of Galatians. And I want us to think about this point in time and how this point gives us reason to celebrate, but there are implications that come because Jesus Christ came to this earth. And in doing so, it gives us reason today to celebrate. It gives us reason to be jolly. It gives us reason to have hope Because Jesus did not leave us hopeless. And my hope for you today is when you leave. Number one, if you don't know Jesus, you will. Number two, if you've strayed away from Jesus, you'll return to Him. But number three, for the church of God, that we will leave out of here with an enthusiasm to proclaim the greatness of the name of Jesus. Because Jesus is worthy of our praise. You realize that, right? We use a lot of words. Jesus is worthy of our praise and so may we live lives that proclaim the greatness of who God is. So starting in verse 1, it says this, Now I say as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is an owner of everything. Now let me just stop there and just talk about this for a moment. Because we're talking about Slaves in the Bible. And that is a very sensitive and, and, and touchy subject in our culture today. But back in the time of Paul, there were people, if they happened to find themselves in a very financial, ba- financially bad situation, would sell themselves out to servitude. But in these households, they were taking care of these people the same as they would a child of the household. Does that make sense? I just want to make sure we clarify what we're talking about here. And so he says in verse 2, but he is under the guardians talking about the son and managers until the date set by the Father, point in time that the child growing up in the house would then be elevated to position of authority. Verse 3 So also we, while we were children, were being held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. Now, we're going back up in chapter 3 in just a minute, but I want you to understand what he's arguing here is about the law. And the place of the law in the Christian life. And how the law was never intended for any human being to use as a means for self-righteousness. We don't have a checklist. y'all get that? We serve the Holy Spirit that lives inside of our lives. who's living His life through us. And for us to keep a list of things we do to make ourselves look good is actually putting us in bondage. So he talks about this elemental things of the world. Their worldview. And these are Gentiles. They don't know anything about the law. They don't know anything about Jewish culture. And so they had a worldview that was formed from their childhood. And now they're being challenged to think differently. To act differently. And to process differently. So then he comes to verse 4. He says, but when the fullness of time came. The culmination of points in time. At this one point it says, God sent forth His His son. Now, I I know there's some kids and some young adults and teenagers in the room. Can I I tell you something? Jesus was not created. Did y'all hear me? Jesus was not created. Philippians chapter 2 is clear that he existed as God for eternity. He was neither created nor was he birthed. He was born of Mary because the plan of God was that his son would come and live just like you and I did. Fully God and fully man. So He sent His Son, born of a woman, born under law, so that, though, that He might redeem those who were under the law and we might receive the adoption of sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Let's pray. Fathers, it says in Isaiah 66, may we tremble at your word. May your word impact us today in such a way that will shed off the world and the expectations of the world and the callings of the world and the pleasures of the world. And you would raise us up as people that would live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I want you to back up into chapter 3 for just a moment because I really do want to lay this context well. Because I made a statement earlier that I want to make sure that we all understand. And that is this, that the law was not given to the Jews as a means to prove self-righteousness. The Bible is very clear that the law was given so that it would highlight our sin. And therefore, highlight our need for righteousness. Therefore, highlighting our need for a Savior. Because ladies and gentlemen, there's no one in this room, I don't, I don't care how hard you try, you are not more righteous. Perfect. I know I just abused the English language, but I meant to. You are not more perfect than somebody else. You may have lived a faith life for a long time, but it's the faith you live that is credited as righteousness, not your righteousness. If you haven't sinned today, just give it some time and you will. Our stray thoughts, our motivations, all of those things... Prove that all everyone in this room, if you have flesh, pinch yourself, make sure you're still there. If you have flesh, you are a sinner. And no sinner can commit a righteous act that will earn their way to be in the presence of the Lord. There's only one who could do that. And his name was? And his name is? And his name will be? And His name is the only name under heaven by which we can be saved. And so, if you back up to verse 22 in chapter 3, it says this, But the Scripture has shut up everyone under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor how many of you ever had to have a tutor for something? I tutored math a lot. I was a math teacher many, many years ago, so I've been asked many times over the year, can you help my daughter or my son in algebra? How many of you love algebra? I didn't oh one, thank you for being on. Oh wait a minute, oh my gosh, bravo. Man, that's awesome that you love algebra. I didn't think there was anybody else like me. Um, but you have a tutor. Tutor is somebody who's been there, done that, and can help guide you through. What the law does for you and me is this. It highlights our depravity. It highlights our sinfulness. You ever heard the saying that I'm not much but I'm all I think about? That's the essence of sin in regards to this. There's there's two paths in our flesh. One fle- one path of our flesh is Here's the lust of the world. I'm the prodigal son and I'm going to pursue it with everything I have. Because when you talk about sin or being a sinner, you get a picture in your mind. And the picture you get is somebody that's just indulging in the pleasures of life. But there's another path of sin, which is what Paul is talking about here. And that's the path where I'm going, you know what? I'm going to do all this good stuff to show the world how good I am. That is what he's talking about here, being in bondage. In the church of Galatia, there was a group of people called Judaizers. Say Judaizers. Just make sure that you, you know. Judaizers. It's a weird word, isn't it? But we believe that he's writing this letter right after the council in Jerusalem where they condemned this, this heresy where they were saying, look, if you're a Gentile and you get saved, you've got to be circumcised to complete salvation. It's heresy. Because the Bible is clear that we're saved by faith, alone. And so they have this council, and they agree, no, we don't need to be teaching that. Well, that teaching had made its way to Galatia, and the Judaizers were teaching this very thing. If you're a Gentile male, you need to be circumcised. It's no different today when we say, hey, you're saved, but you need to X, Y, or Z. I remember years ago, I'm going to call his college, name Bud. We met a name named Bud in Helen, Georgia. And and Bud was one to Christ and he accepted Jesus. But when I tell you he was unchurched, he was unchurched. He had never read the Bible. He was dyslexic. He couldn't, he couldn't read. He could hear, but he couldn't read. He had one pair of clothes. And I'll never forget how my heart hurt the Sunday he came and they presented him and said, Hey, Bud got saved. And we're like, Oh, man, this is awesome. And after church, a gentleman walked up to him. And Buddy had a beard down to here. And I'm I'm not sure that he had even bathed when he came. But I didn't care. No one else in the church cared. But this one gentleman walked up and looked at him and said, Oh man, we're so glad you got saved. Now when are you going to cut that beard off so you look like the rest of us? Bud didn't come back to church. One person's attempt to prove self-righteousness. And it wasn't even scriptural what he was saying. In fact, the Bible says you need to go grow your beard out. But that's besides the point. One point of self-righteousness diminished a point of faith in another. This is what Paul is arguing about and he's telling them the law wasn't given for you to prove your self-righteousness. Can I ask you today, for those of us in the room, some of us are on this path that we're heading back to where the world is calling us to indulge. Some of us are on the path heading towards self-righteousness. Both of those require repentance. Repentance. Both of us are required to say, you know what? God has called me out of this lifestyle, saved me from the world, so I'm going to point my life to Jesus and make Him Lord of my life. Some of us are in this path where we're pointed this direction and we're so busy trying to make ourselves look good that we're not noticing the people who are around us. Tis the season to be jolly, right? We need to be pointing people to the saving knowledge and saving grace of Jesus Christ. To rescue us out of our depravity and out of our sin. Because if you look at the rest of this this paragraph, he's going to give us three implications about why God sent his son. That's the first blank that you have. God sent his son at the right time, at the preordained time, God sent his son. He knew exactly when he was going to do it. He knew exactly how he was going to do it. He knew exactly where he was going to be. And he sent his son. He promised he was coming. He gave prophecies about where He would be and the signs that would accompany that. He sent His Son. And that, that right there, draws praise from our lips. God, You sent Your Son. But but here's some implications that come out of that. Look at verse number 5. He said, so that He might redeem. Now, what's going on in the language here is this. That verb hinges upon the verb, In verse number 2, that God sent His Son. So the first implication, the first benefit that you and I receive is at the right time, God redeemed us. That's not a word we use a whole lot. But here's two meanings for the word redemption. One is to compensate for the faults or bad aspects of something, or in this case, of someone. Again, every one of us in this room, we are spiritually bankrupt. We don't have the righteousness desired, required, to be able to go to the presence of the Lord. So something has to compensate for our shortcoming. But the other definition is this. Gain or to regain possession of something in exchange for payment. So when it says that he redeemed us, the first thing that he did is he justified. Say justified. Justified. He justified our sins. I'm no longer stuck in my sin. I am no longer lost. I am no longer in need. God has met my greatest need, which is to be saved from my sin. But then He also bought us back. He bought us back. The Bible says in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree in order that Christ Jesus would give us the blessing of Abraham and it would come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit by faith. The new covenant, the essence of the new covenant is that God would put His Spirit inside of you and me. Because without it, we cannot, we do not have the ability in our sinfulness To do the righteous requirements of the law, which is why the law locked us up in bondage. And Jesus came to buy us out, to rescue us, to justify us out of that position. You know, there's a story in the Old Testament, in the book of Hosea. And Hosea is told by God to go and marry Gomer. Does anybody name anybody Gomer anymore, besides Gomer Pyle? But he's told to go marry Gomer, who was a harlot, a prostitute. Probably wasn't his choice to marry. But in his obedience, Hosea said, "All right, God, I'll go marry. And they marry and they have have children. But by the time we get to chapter 2, we find out that she left him again. And went back, as the Bible says, to play the harlot. She was unfaithful to him. She was unclean. And most of us in this room... Would be like, you know what? Just keep on going. Just keep on going. But by the time we get to chapter three, we see this beautiful picture that God speaks to Hosea. She's now in bondage. She's being sold as a prostitute. And he tells Hosea, go and buy her back. Now, you know what's cool about this story though? It was no strings attached. He didn't say, now go back to Gomer and say, you know, we're gonna sign this covenant. And you're going to promise that you won't do this, and you won't do this, and you won't do this, and you won't do this. He said, go buy her back. And the picture that he was portraying was a picture of Israel being ostracized from the Lord, playing the harlot with other nations. And God says, you know what? I'll buy you back. And Jesus Christ on the cross paid the price for our sins. Paul wrote that we are to glorify God with our bodies. Why? Because we were bought with a price. You were expensive. Anybody remember, we were talking about having babies this morning. you remember how much you had to pay for your baby to be born? The hospital bill? It's not cheap. If you raise kids, have you ever looked at the accumulation of money that you pay to raise your children? It's not cheap. Jesus Christ paid it all for you. Because Jesus came, the first implication is is that He has redeemed us back. But the second implication here is that now He's adopted us. He has adopted us. Listen to verse number 5 again. That we might receive, might receive, again, it's dependent upon the verb in the other verse, the adoption as sons. We got to spend time with my nephew yesterday, and I asked his permission to share what's going on in his life. He, my, my, my nephew and my niece-in-law adopted two children a year ago. And it is such a beautiful thing. When I was sitting in that room yesterday, and they came in, and Thomas, his son, who is six, came up and was saying, Mama and Daddy they were acting just like they were family, even though racially speaking, my nephew is Caucasian and they're Hispanic. It didn't matter. The love that my nephew and my niece-in-law are showing to those two children is beyond anything that I can fathom because my niece, my great-niece, the three-year-old, she's downs. She's on a feeding tube. And to see the care... To see the compassion that they showed to these two children who were not birthed of them, but they adopted and brought them in. They are family. And it's an awesome picture of what we see here, that we've been redeemed, but He's adopted us. And by that, Paul would even say over in Romans that because of the Spirit of God, we're sons of God, and we have received the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Daddy. When we talk about Jesus having a relationship with you, how much closer can you get than the relationship between a son and a father? You can't. You can't. Mothers, you are awesome. You provide nurture that a father will never understand. But fathers, you provide stability in your family's life. And now we have this stable relationship with the Lord that gives us confidence because... He has adopted us. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. Not because we're doing good stuff, but because of the greatness of the grace of God that He's given to you and me. And here's the third implication, and that's it. God changes us. God changes us. If we look back in that passage, He goes on to say, because you are sons... He sent forth His Spirit in our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave. So, if you're no longer a slave, church, can I ask you a question? Why do you want to keep living as a slave? Chuck Swindoll, in his, in, in his book, um, The Grace Awakening, tells the story of the Emancipation Proclamation. And in America, we're, we're divided. The North was against the South. And he, in in eighteen, in 18 Sixty-three issues this edict freeing all the slaves. But in pockets of the South, even beyond the Civil War and, 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 and the rebuilding, there were still slave owners treating slaves as slaves even though they had been set free. Ladies and gentlemen, can I tell you, when Jesus saved you, He set you free. And I don't know any other reason today to raise my voice and celebrate the God of heaven. That I am no longer the way I used to be. I'm not going down this path anymore. Indulging in sin. I'm not going down this path anymore. Trying to prove how good I am. But I'm sitting here as a son of God. Basking in the blessing of God Almighty. And that's why he's called you and me to live in. I think Bill Gaither said it best. When he said. God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He bled and died to buy my pardon. Here's the power. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. Now listen to the chorus. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Why? Because these things no longer hold me bondage. Because I know... He holds the future. And life is worth living because He lives. But the life I'm challenging us today is the life that we have in Christ. Where is Christ leading you? If Christ has saved you, have you made Him Lord of your life? Have you surrendered every aspect of your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Or are you living one life and another? you got your faith life, but you got your secret life. Can I challenge you today in this season of time, in this Christmas season, when we're jolly and we're happy and we're giving presents and we're giving gifts, we're spending time with family, to consider how you reconcile those lives into one. If you're here today and you either don't know Christ or you don't know if you know Christ, can I challenge you today to admit that you're a sinner, to turn away from your sins, Tell the Lord that He is the Son of God who came to this earth, died on the cross, was raised again to forgive and take your sin away and to give you eternal life. If you've drifted away from Him and, and your life is like, feels like it's bondage, there might be a reason for that. Either A, you're living in sin, or B, you're trying so hard to prove how good you are. Can I call you today to repent of that? I just want to be a good shepherd to you. And if there's a sheep that keeps leaving the flock, the shepherd does something about it. If the shepherd sees the sheep doing something to continually harm himself, the shepherd does something about that. If you are living in either of these two paths, you're just beating your head against the wall when the Lord wants you to come and He wants to put oil on those, on those wounds. And he wants to care for you. The third thing I want to challenge you to do today is this. We're one week from Christmas. And like I said at the beginning of the message, this isn't the season for me to challenge you to invite people to come with you. I'm going to challenge you every week to invite people to come with you. Because this place is home. This is a place of hope. This is a place of challenge. This is a place of ministry. This is our house. But before it's our house, it's his home first. And he's invited you and me to come in and live like we're supposed to. Sons and daughters of the Most High God, surrendering all to the King of the universe. So as Josiah plays quietly on the piano, I want to ask you if you're joining us online or if you're in the room, just bow your heads for a moment. Can I ask you to ask one thing of God? Lord, what are you saying to me today? What are you challenging me and my life to do today? Would you whisper that to him? And then listen. Father, as we stand here in awe of you, in this season of time, tis the season but right now at this moment of time Lord we're considering the weight of our belief in Christ Jesus Lord if we're going down a path that we shouldn't go down Lord would you forgive us and draw us back into the path you need us to be on Lord if there's somebody in this room that doesn't know Christ or maybe as as we've used the term rededicate to get right back on the path I pray Lord that they would surrender it now in prayer. Declaring Jesus the Son of God, died on the cross, raised again. But but Lord, to say, God, I want to get back on the right track. I know I'm going to have to make some changes. And I don't have the strength to make them, God, but you do. Let your Spirit guide me, direct me, fill me, and send me. And Lord, as we're thinking about each week, the people that we come across, the people that we encounter. Lord, there's a lot of brokenness around us. We see it every day. But the only hope that we have is in Jesus Christ. And I pray that we continue to be a beacon of the gospel and a place of hope that people can come. In Jesus' name, amen.